umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we're going to talk about Michigan's huge 38 to 17 win over Wisconsin. Big game on the road. Well, Clint, what did you think about this one? Well, that was the fourth game this season that uh, you know, Michigan really blew past all of uh you know all of our expectations you know um even the folks that were optimistic about uh michigan going on the road and getting the win i you know everything that i heard and read was still expected it to be close and really this game um the scoreboard was closer for a long time into the fourth quarter but uh, the play on the field was was not michigan really really dominated this game on both sides of the ball um and 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 special teams so really all three phases michigan really put together a complete performance and it's it's been a while since we've been able to say that about michigan playing that well for 60 minutes on the road uh much less you know somewhere as tough to play as uh as madison well i was surprised but happily surprised i had hoped and had predicted that michigan would win the game but I don't know anyone who predicted they would win as handily or as easily as they ended up winning. So, um, again, it, it's, you know, prior to the season, I had thought that Michigan may have two losses at this point and understand that um, I wasn't predicting doom and gloom. I thought that, you know, Michigan would, would start bouncing back after those two losses and actually put together a pretty decent season, but no way did I think that Michigan would be 5-0 and at this point. So what were your thoughts when you broke down the game, Phil? So watching the game, I think it was Michigan did exactly what they needed to do in terms of getting off to a good start. You know, I think as Michigan fans the last, uh, you know, the short, short history here, you know, the Harbaugh era, maybe just the last five years or so, you know, we know how it feels to be kind of questioning the the ability of the team or, or the direction of the program, and you're kind of you know teetering and walk into the stadium just hoping for the best, but kind of preparing for the worst. So for Michigan to get off to a good start and even kind of bring the boo birds out uh, in Madison, where Wisconsin's getting booed by their own crowd in the second quarter, there that's uh, it's exactly what they needed to do, right? And the the energy level never ever got really up to what uh what wisconsin would have liked and even when they started playing well and put together that quick touchdown drive before halftime you know you had the long break for halftime and kind of sucked the air back out of it and then michigan came back out got a you know got a three and out and then drove down scored the touchdown and it was over 20 to 10 seemed close at the time but um they it was over at that point there was just no no life in Wisconsin coming back, especially after Mertz had gotten hurt uh, early in that third quarter. And as happy as I am about the result, here comes the but, right? Um, it's not Michigan's fault, right? You can only play who is on your schedule. And I know I predicted, and I thought that Washington was going to be uh, a more difficult test, and I thought Wisconsin was going to be more of a difficult test. I, I don't think I'm 
disparaging uh, Michigan's effort by saying that this is not a, a vintage Wisconsin team, right? And, you know, I I, uh, I have my routine of when I watch the game, I, I watch the game live, and then I watch the game um, without the commentary, and then I, I watch the game with the commentary. And at one point, the uh, commentator, one of the commentators said, you know, this this Wisconsin team is going to be an eight or nine win team. And I'm like, what team are you watching? Right. Um, I think that, um, you know, they're going to struggle to be above 500. And again, that's mostly due to, you know, they've had some injuries. Um, uh, Their quarterback went out in this game and that adversely affected them, but they also were without their starting center. Right. And you could just see that, um, as much as I, I'm glad to see Michigan win, Wisconsin was not firing on all cylinders. And, um, uh, you know, now that doesn't change the fact that the Michigan defense just looked stupendous in this game. Just, you know, I tweeted at one point during the game, it looked like Michigan was lining up 13 or 14 guys. They were, they were just all over Wisconsin. But um, with that said, um, you know, I'm glad to be five and zero, but this is this is not a vintage Wisconsin team. Yeah, I think it's I think that's very well put. You know, I I think that um, you know I I said to you kind of offline previously today, you know, made that point about Wisconsin not having that center, their center, their starting center, who may very well be their best offensive player. You know, and the the interior of Michigan's D line absolutely capitalized on that. And really, uh, they were able to kind of reestablish the line of scrimmage, you know, a yard back into Wisconsin's backfield. And, and, and Wisconsin just could not create anything. And they certainly couldn't protect the quarterback. I mean, the, the tackles were uh, tackles on the outside of their offensive line were really iffy coming in. And, and, you know, they dedicated some extra resources to try to make sure that they stopped Aiden Hutchinson, but they couldn't block. Uh, any of the other guys, David Ojabo had a great day. You know, we saw Taylor Upshaw making his presence felt. Uh, Mike Morris, outside and inside, made his presence felt. So those guys up front really, really, really put the hammer on Wisconsin. And that's what you have to do. And despite, like you said, it's not Michigan's fault that Wisconsin's not at their best. Um, you can only beat the teams that are in front of you, you know. And for me, I was most impressed with, the offense, because uh, despite all of those injury problems on Wisconsin's offensive side of the ball, Michigan's offense really, you know, to put up 38 points on a really, really good defense. Um, I mean, Wisconsin's defense is so good that after that game, after they lost by 21 points, the SP plus metric still moved Wisconsin up from 11th to 10th because of what their defense is is so strong. It went from fourth nationally to third, uh, according to these advanced stats. So I I think seeing Cade McNamara uh, get back into the uh, you know sixty five percent completion percentage range. I think he was you know seventeen for twenty eight. You know almost two hundred yards passing, two touchdowns. Again, no interceptions, no turnovers. Played a clean game. And uh, while he wasn't perfect by any means, he had some misses when uh, he did make big throws and big moments and, and, and created some big plays. 
And I think that was the first time. 28 pass attempts is by far the most of the season for McNamara. And I think uh, it's kind of like what we said in our last podcast. He was finally given a chance to kind of throw his way through some of those hiccups when he was off a little bit. You know, they stuck with him, kept throwing the ball, and, and he really looked like he was stepping into the throws, putting some zip on the ball, and had some really beautiful downfield passes as well. So what was interesting was I really thought that Roman Wilson emerged in this game as as a consistent and an explosive receiving target. You know, we knew Cornelius Johnson um, could explode and, and had that potential, but to see Roman Wilson settle in with six receptions for 81 yards, um, you know, there were a couple times You'd watch you. You would see the reception, like, oh, who was that? Oh, Roman Wilson again. Roman Wilson again. So it was kind of nice to see that he kind of hit his rhythm um, again. Cornelius Johnson had some big plays, so it's nice to see not only um, Cade get into a rhythm, but to see the ball distributed around to a number of different receivers, and to see that um, you know. We're going to miss Ronnie Bell, okay? There's there's no making up for his loss, but I think you can see the rest of the receiver core kind of picking up the slack, and it's important because as Michigan continues to build, and I think it's one of the things that they need to do, right? Um, we can talk about that Wisconsin wasn't at their best. Well, what you need to do is you need to beat a team when they're not at their best, and that's what Michigan did, and again... They did that. They did that with some style. Um, there were some interesting, uh, you know, they had that interesting flea flicker. They took some adv- advantage of some mistakes that Wisconsin made on special teams. And, and again, they did what they needed to do. And I think, you know, when I look at this game, it's another building block on what is hopefully building to be uh, a great season. Yeah, I, a couple things. Uh, addition of some some praise that that I wanted to make sure to get on the record here is that I think that both game plans, both coordinators, Mike McDonald on defense, Josh Gaddis on offense, both came out with really really solid game plans, and I think you really have to give a lot of credit to your leaders on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, for executing and keeping uh, all eleven guys in the huddle focused on the task at hand. In, in a tough environment on the road. You know, that's um, for as much as Wisconsin is not um, a steamroller this particular season, um, Michigan still played well on the road against uh, a team that, that has a very good system and coordinator, especially on defense, and, you know, has had enough talent to really, um, you know, steamroll Michigan in the last couple of seasons. So, it's not nothing for them to come out and execute at a high level. And and the scoreboard is lopsided because Wisconsin is not very good. But I'll tell you, if Wisconsin had their best game on Saturday and Michigan played that same way, I still think that Michigan comes out on top because they looked sharp. They looked crisp. Again, they played clean and Wisconsin, you know, did not with turnovers. And that's, you know, that's the the long and short of it, is that Michigan is valuing their possessions and, and, and moving the ball on almost every drive, uh, save for the second half of Rutgers this season. You know, so through five games, you know, 
every single drive they're they're moving the ball and even when they're not scoring they're changing field position and uh, when they do get uh, across the opponent's 40 they're, they're relatively efficient at, at punching it into the end zone and not settling for field goals so really really great and, and encouraging and uh, reassuring to see a complete game not only all three phases but all 60 minutes even when you know Michigan could have started doubting themselves a couple really nice throws by Graham Mertz and a couple plays that did not get made in the secondary right before halftime would have been easy to, to you know, here we go again, and then Wisconsin gets the ball after halftime and moves the ball again, and that is not what happened. Michigan came out and, and absolutely turned the tide immediately by uh, by being aggressive and, and having their best guys like Daxton Hill making plays and uh, got that sack on third down, and it was over. I mean, it was over right then. There, we weren't even two minutes into the third quarter, and, and you could have you could have written your game story at that point right there. So what I really appreciated about this game was how Michigan came out in the second half because what we saw against Rutgers was Michigan really dominate the first half and then disappear offensively, right? And it came out, uh, I think, you know, you actually, uh, you know, you had some conjecture that last game versus Rutgers that when Cade got hit, he wasn't the same guy after that hit. Um, that happened right before halftime. Well, you know, that was confirmed during the game uh, that the coaches had said that to the commentators, right? So here it is. Michigan has that. They, they try that squib kick right before halftime, and Wisconsin turns on it and, you know, makes it, uh, basically closes the gap, right, where it had been all Michigan, all half. Wisconsin comes out, takes advantage of, of that squib kick, and you start thinking, uh-oh, here, here's Wisconsin. This is the Wisconsin we expected, right? And Michigan came back after the half, pitched a shutout defensively, scored another touchdown, and then added 18 in the fourth quarter, right? So basically it wasn't just enough to, to beat them. They were going to leave no doubt. And I think that was the thing that I really got excited about was that this was a team that grew stronger on the road. And again, Michigan teams have struggled on the road. So to see them come out against Wisconsin and, uh, you know, you know, again, here it was with all the um, questions about Wisconsin, they were still favored in this game. Right. So I think this is definitely um, uh, you know, this is the signature win of the season so far, right? This was Michigan announcing itself that they're building towards something. Now, there, there's more to do, right? This is, you know, if this is the only road win of the season, it will not be enough. But it's the first one. It's important. And, um, I, you know, I, I think to win as handily as they did really showed that this team had some moxie. So, um you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, so how did you feel about the team kind of co-opting the jump around that uh, Wisconsin does for their home games? Well, I, I don't think that Michigan's the first one to kind of embrace that, you know, that particular moment and just kind of, you know, 
let it rip there during a TV break. But it seemed, um, to me at least, after kind of seeing the the different clips and and some of them sideline cell phone camera footage and and the the TV uh, broadcast kind of showed it, not only was Michigan really, um, you know, partaking in that particular tradition but like you said they co-opted it and it was intentional you know dax hill said in his uh in his post-game media uh interview that that was part of the plan they planned on getting the lead staying ahead the whole game and then kind of taking their juice he said stealing their juice at that moment like with that being their kind of rallying point you know they wanted to to make sure that they increased their own energy level to the point that uh it was just another problem for for wisconsin to deal with that that michigan was getting even more hyped than uh than wisconsin was and first uh first series i don't know if it was the first play when the first when the fourth quarter restarted but it was uh within a couple plays that uh, the defense had caused a turnover um i think it was the uh the strip uh the fumble the sack fumble for um with on the backup quarterback happened right there early in the in the fourth quarter you know so not only did they you know kind of you know walk the walk or dance the dance or jump on the sidelines but they they really got out there on the field and backed it up with their actions immediately and stomped on wisconsin and left no doubt right at that moment they totally pulled the uh, the heart out of the badgers at that point and uh it wasn't an accident, you know. They stated as such, and and it was definitely intentional that they went in there with a that clearly wanted to win that game, and, and wanted to dominate the energy level on the field also, and they did. So so kudos to them on that too. So the other thing that I thought was interesting was, and I and I mentioned this because we know how the sausage is made, right? You had the commentators talking about. Michigan embracing analytics and that doesn't come from thin air right Um, I'm assuming they picked that up from conversations with the coaching staff and uh, I would say that it drove some of the decisions how do you feel about the decision to go for that squib kick right before half well I think it's first off is I think that it's relatively routine that uh, you know, you kind of expect that to squirt all the way back to um, not to the far, the deepest uh, normal returners, but to the second to last guys. You know those upbacks, and and typically there's no return, and they just get the ball right there. Now that one, for whatever reason, whether it was intentional or unintentional, didn't quite get back to that second to last level. It got back to the to the third level, so to speak, and. Uh, first almost turned into a huge play for Michigan where they almost recovered it, right? And they almost had the ball back inside the 40 again with their own chance to score. You know, and if that ball bounces a little bit differently and Michigan's got the ball, then it looks like a, you know, absolutely genius move. But it doesn't. And uh, so the Wisconsin starts, I think, on their 37. Um, and it's okay. And, and instead of taking a knee, uh, Paul Chris just is going to run the ball you know, into the middle of the line and, and see what breaks. And Michigan gives up nine yards, right? And then, you know, a deep pass down the seam hits perfectly and then uh, a fade in the left corner of the end zone, they're on the board. So 
the squib kick I, again it's kind of part it's kind of splitting hairs to figure out whether that was supposed to squib and uh just keep it away from their deepest guys so that you're not giving it to their most explosive players or if it was intentional to try to uh actually get a recovery there but either way uh you stop that first run play on first down you probably stop another run play on second down and it doesn't turn into points so it's it's complimentary football. I, I don't have a huge problem with the squib kick, um, but the combination of squib kick, uh, bad run defense on first down, a couple good throws, and and not getting your hand on the ball and the defensive coverage on uh, on the following on the second and third play of that drive, and, and you gave up points. And that's you know that's how it goes. If you're gonna if you're gonna roll with the analytics and take the chances then then players have to make plays in those moments and when they don't you know you're uh you're just you're it's not going to work out in your favor that's for sure michigan also was very aggressive on fourth down at times and you know you and i have talked about this in the past i'm a big fan of going for it more on fourth down and i was excited to see them roll the dice especially on the road to try to get a you know to get a leg up on what we thought would be a tight game how did you feel about some of the uh um choices that michigan made on fourth down and the first one on the first drive at your own 34 you know is really i mean that is that's hyper hyper aggressive but it also uh you know to kind of echo what they said on the broadcast it really sets the tone right you're telling your offense and your team that uh, that you have faith in them and that you expect them to be able to pick up one yard when when you need it, you know. And if you expect it at the, if you expect it at midfield or you expect it at your opponent's goal line, then, you know, regardless of where you're at on the field, you you expect them to get that yard. So I I think that it's a, it's a clear statement, uh, you know, from the coaching staff to their team in in a statement of faith and and of expectation. So I like it from that standpoint. Um, I. You know, a way that that we've talked about it, I know, you know, you and I, but I'm not sure if we talked about it while we were recording, is that if you think of it in the inverse, right, if you were the defensive guy or or if your team, if you're in the stands and your team is on defense, wouldn't you rather see that other team put the punter out there and just kick it so that you know you're going to get the ball? You know, don't you kind of get that extra attention when, you know, that team – you know, lines up and goes for it, like, oh, uh, uh, and then if you don't get it, right, or, or if you can't stop them, then, you know, there's another, it's it's another kind of an emotional hammer that uh, that one team is, is using on the other. I, the team that I remember, you know, being on the receiving end of that hammer was, was Army, right? They almost never punt because they run the ball for three yards on every down, right? So they expect to have the ball fourth and one, and they're going to go for it. Right, and that's exhausting as a fan, and exhausting as a defensive, uh, you know, from a defensive personnel standpoint, you're constantly put in the ringer. And for Michigan to go for it five times on fourth down, you know, they put a lot of mental and, and emotional stress on that Wisconsin defense, and then picked up three of them. Right, so I uh, I like it. I like it as a philosophy, definitely. You know, I don't know if I'd have been able to pull the trigger on fourth and one from the 34, but um, I don't hate it either. I don't hate it either. I, I, it's a little bit more aggressive than I would be, but uh, but I like it. 
I think it's a statement for your defense as well, saying, listen, we think we're going to get this, but even if we don't, you guys are going to clean it up. And, you know, I think that, you know, you know, it goes both ways, right? It's easy to say, or the obvious call is to say, well, they believe in the offense, right? But if I'm the defense, I'm thinking, oh, they know we got this, right? And there, again, there were times in the first half and in the second half, too, the Michigan defense just looked dominant, just crushing. And I think that um, one of the things that struck me that surprised me, you know, on one hand, you know, it's great to see Michigan score 38 points, but just to see the swarming defense. And I mean, let's be clear, they knocked Wisconsin's quarterback out of the game. Right. And, um, you know, once he was out of the game, the uh, it, it was pretty much over. I mean, um, once Graham Mertz left and, you know, hopefully he's he's not injured too badly and, you know, he'll be back for the rest of the season. But, you know, they brought in their their backup quarterback, Chase Wolf, who, um, you know, had trouble completing passes to uh, to guys on his own team, right? Um, he had, you know, they, they made a note of that in the broadcast that uh, he had thrown a number of interceptions, right? And he threw another interception, you know, to Michigan. So I like the aggression. And, and I really think once this game got in hand, right, and I would say midway through the third quarter, it was clear that Michigan owned this game, that it was going to take something really bad to happen um, for Wisconsin to, to threaten. What I like about going for it on fourth down, what I like about, um, you know, getting J.J. Uh, um, McCarthy in the game, what I liked about Michigan trying some, I call them shenanigans on special teams, right, what I like about that is it sets the expectation for your team to be comfortable to do that later when you need to do it, right? And, you know, we can project, looking at the schedule, there are going to be tougher tests coming up. And I've always thought it was a mistake when a team doesn't try its its special plays or doesn't try, um, you know, things on special teams until it absolutely needs it, Right. And it goes back and forth because on one hand, they'll say, well, if you put that on tape, then other teams can prepare for it. And I always go, yeah, but if your team is, like you were talking about Army, they go for it on fourth down so often, they are in a, in a, in a calm place. They're, they're not, uh, they just expect to do it, right? You're really putting the onus on the other team. And I think that's what I'm think. that's how I want to kind of frame what Michigan is doing here. For them going for it on fourth down, for them trying to things on special teams, for them, um, you know, being as aggressive as they as they were, it's basically setting a tone for for them moving forward, so that if it comes a time against a tougher opponent where they need to do a similar thing, they're going to be ready for it. It's not going to be as much of a surprise, or or they won't have the anxiety or or the stress they'll have done it before and hopefully they'll be able to execute it again. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. And a couple, two more uh, things that I wanted to make sure that I touched on that I think are, are important going forward, uh, you know, for the remaining 
seven uh, Big Ten games here is uh, you mentioned J.J. McCarthy getting into the game. You got in in, um, in non-garbage time, right? I mean, first of all, they brought him in uh, in the second quarter while it was still a very close game. And it looks like they are going to use McCarthy, at least uh, threaten to, at least make teams prepare for, actually running a, a true zone read option run game uh, with McCarthy in there. You know, they, they, they ran that split zone inside run, and then they ran the, um, the keeper off of it where, where he kept it going to the left and went out of bounds after a gain of nine. So it looks like they are going to make teams prepare for the quarterback run game. And I think that's a big deal, not only to put more pressure on other teams' defenses and make them prepare for that, but also in, in any given moment, they are going to be putting pressure on that defense in uh, certain situations, especially you know third and short situations or goal line situations, because you cannot just crash those defensive ends down chasing Blake Corm or Hassan Haskins they have to play assignment football when McCarthy's in there because McCarthy can very well pull it and, and, and run it outside. So that's going to be a big help to the run game in those key plays going forward. So I expect to see more of that from McCarthy. Uh, I don't think that was just Wisconsin-specific. I think they're going to find ways to get him in and include him in the run game, um, which is going to be very interesting. And the other thing uh, that Josh Gaddis did – on Saturday that I think will help the run game going forward is he showed that he, he trusts Cade McNamara's arm and his decision-making ability, at least pre-snap decision-making ability. And he'll challenge uh, press coverage and throw the ball down the field. We had seen that earlier in the season, but in games that it was clear there was a talent advantage, right? Um, You know, we saw the 87 yard touchdown, against NIU. We saw a couple touchdowns against Western Michigan that were long. Ronnie Bell, 76-yarder in the first week, uh, comes to mind. But in this game against a really, really good defense, maybe the best defense that Michigan's going to play in the entire season, uh, you know, Gattis showed that he's got the confidence and the faith in McNamara to push the ball down the field, and it was successful uh, you know, a number of times. Both of Cornelius Johnson's catches were 20 plus yard touchdown catches, right? Roman Wilson had a, a fade that he made a great play on down the sideline. And then even in the third quarter, JJ McCarthy comes in, they see press man coverage and they send, uh, you know, Dalen Baldwin deep up the right sideline and McCarthy hits him right in stride for his only pass of the game, a 56 yard touchdown. So, um, it was a clear message to the rest of the defensive coordinators in the Big Ten that you're not going to be able to just stack the box, play press man coverage without, uh, you know, having to worry about making, stopping some big plays on the outside there. And that is uh, exactly what we needed to see, right, as as fans, right? And that's a lot of the worry about, you know, would they be able to throw the ball and loosen up some of these eight-man boxes against the run? And that was a very resounding yes. Kate McNamara is going to push the ball down the field when uh, when you're stacking the box against Michigan's run game. So one of the things one of the things that I would question that Coach uh, Harbaugh had done his first couple seasons here at Michigan is that he would ride one quarterback, right? 
even in garbage time, even up big. And, you know, it's the balance between you want to get your number one guy as many reps as possible. But, you know, I would always think, yeah, but you're kind of risking them when you don't need to, right? And then if you had an injury late in the season, it's really difficult to expect somebody to come in cold with so few live game reps. So what I like what we're seeing so far this season with J.J. McCarthy is, like you said, you're getting him reps not in garbage time, right? And he's successful. I mean, you saw they let him do a sneak and, you know, score a touchdown, and they let him unleash that rocket of an arm, right? And, you know, it's tough because I look at Cade McNamara. Michigan is undefeated. Cade McNamara has done everything that he needed to do to get Michigan to this point. And um, and then you see J.J. McCarthy come in, and, you know, he's 9 for 13 for the season, 178 yards, two touchdowns, right? And, you know, he had that 56-yard touchdown against Wisconsin, and that's not even his longest. He had a 69 before, right, in one of the previous games. So... What I like is you'd hope, you know, you don't want anything happen to Cade McNamara, but we've seen in the last couple of seasons quarterbacks get dinged up, right? So if something happens to Cade, very confident that J.J. McCarthy can come in and be serviceable at least. You also have the thing that um, as much as I'm praising what Cade McNamara has done, um, J.J. McCarthy has the bigger arm you know, the, the deeper are. So they definitely bring different aspects. And I got to tell you, if, if you're a, a, a Big Ten defensive coordinator, you know, in most, look what happened in this game. Michigan knocked out the starting quarterback for Wisconsin, and there was a huge drop-off, okay? Um, you know, I, I not to uh, disparage their second-string quarterback, Wolf, but, a huge drop off in, in offensive capability, right? Um, with with Cade and JJ, they they both are are very talented and they bring different things to the table, and you have to game plan differently for both. So again, it, it's a lot how I feel about um, what Michigan's doing in the running game right now. You have Hassan Hoskins and you have Blake Corum. They're both really good. If in, in past seasons, if either had been our primary back, I'd be pretty happy. And this season, we have both. Um, I kind of feel that we're, we're getting a similar aspect with Kate and JJ right now. Yep, I, I, I agree that it makes it makes the defense prepare for more. And it, I, I am adamant that it's going to help the run game if they do actually threaten the, the true zone read on the outside there, right? Like right now those defensive ends are just crashing down and, uh, and getting an extra guy unblocked. Um, that's, that should be responsible for the quarterback is, is coming down inside and stopping Haskins and Corum more often than not. So, uh, making them worry about that with JJ in the game. If we see that continually, right now we've seen JJ in three games, and he can play four without without burning a red shirt. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see if and how quickly he has his fifth appearance, right? And if 
once he goes into his fifth game, then we know he's just uh, he's just a main part of the offense, right? That is a specific package that the the offense is going to use. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that and count it. But I I like it, and I, I'm I would rather see uh, that portion of the playbook stay in the game plan with JJ McCarthy because I think Cade McNamara is still your your get your starter, right? I still think he's probably the best at leading the huddle. He's probably the best to get into the right plays by reading coverages and uh, knowing what he's seeing before the snap. So he's, I think his role is solidified, but that doesn't mean that JJ coming in uh, for specific packages um, can't be useful. And uh, I'm sure that Cade McNamara can handle that and, and we'll, we'll accept that as, as what's the best for the team to win. So Clint, here we are. Michigan is five and zero, and I know I didn't think they'd be five and zero at this point. And I know uh, from our previous conversations, I think if you had known preseason that Michigan would be five and zero, you'd be surprised. How do you feel this team is is forming up right now? Well, I think first and foremost, they've been very fortunate. Right. I mean, turnovers have have a really a lot of luck that's involved. Right. Balls bounce strangely sometimes. Um, You know, sometimes a ball gets tipped and gets picked. Sometimes it gets tipped and goes just down to the ground. So there's a little bit of turnover luck that's been working in Michigan's favor um, to a small extent. Uh, Also, every team or or a lot of the teams that Michigan has played have, have battled some injuries in Michigan to this point, knock on wood, has stayed pretty healthy. You know, uh, Ronnie Bell being the, the main injury that, uh, you know, is the exception to that. But other than that, I think Michigan has stayed pretty healthy to this point. And these other teams have not. A lot of key players have gone down either just before or during the game. So um, I think that that plays a role, but I don't think it's the only reason that Michigan is winning um, by any means. I think. Michigan is playing very clean and, and to some extent making their own luck. Um, the biggest difference, I think, right now is that you have a clear sense of leadership on both sides of the ball where when things start to get a little dicey, those guys step up, can make big plays, and, and get things back on track without um, some of the wallowing and uh, – and questioning of your own abilities that uh, that we've seen the last couple of years, and I think that is right now the biggest difference between the uh, mediocre starts of the past few seasons and uh, this year's really really strong starts. A little bit of luck involved. Schedule has been very favorable uh, up to this point. It's a lot harder in the second half of the season, but um, I I just think that they are much more sharp because. I believe that the uh, the leaders, the captains, and the and the best players on both sides of the ball really deserve a lot of credit for keeping this team laser focused on the task at hand, and uh, they they deserve mountains and mountains of credit for for what Michigan's doing so far. I agree. I think one of the things that I've noticed in hearing the players talk and hearing the coaches talk is universally. The praise that is um, expressed for the team leaders helping their room, 
helping their teammates. And I think not only was it important for Josh Ross to be out on the field for his position, but it was important for him to be out there because he's been described as like another defensive coach on the field. And it was interesting to see, you know, there was some question about whether he was going to be able to go. He went, he looked fine. Um, you know, we, we hope that uh, remains the case. And, and as you said, I think Michigan's been fortunate in a number of ways. Um, you know, I even think back to the Rutgers game, the weather, there was a chance the weather was going to be bad, and it was beautiful. And, um, you know, I think the two biggest things they've been fortunate is that um, both Washington and Wisconsin um, are not having their best years, right? But they still count as W's, and it has to be a huge burst of confidence to be able to go up to Wisconsin, a place that Michigan has not won in 20 years, okay? And I mean, however you do it, whether Wisconsin's having a bad year or what, 20 years, okay? 20 years without beating, you know, having a win in Madison. So you can't take that away. And I think that when I look at this team, um, it's it's something that's building, and and they have the they have the chance to continue keep building on things. And I think that's what I'm most excited about is, you know, listen, do I want to play Ohio State right now? Um, no, but you know the good news is you don't have to. Okay, you have the next game up, and that's what they need to focus on. And as long as they keep working and, and um, expanding the playbook and getting players more experience, um, you know, I, I feel really good about where they are right now and the outlook for the rest of the season. Yep, I, I agree with that 100%. Just I, I trust the leadership in the program right now, both player leadership and coaches, to really verbalize that, listen, things are not always going to be perfect. They're not going to go the way that we want them to go. We learned a little bit about that in the Rutgers game. And you have to be able to absorb that and, and answer the bell and, and do what it takes to overcome. And um, there will be more situations like that coming up here in the, the rest of the Big Ten season. And I, I have been encouraged and I'm confident that Michigan's better prepared to, to bounce back in those situations and it's fun to watch this team. It's fun to watch this team. It's fun to watch the coaches coach. It's fun to watch the players play. And, and it looks to me like everybody down there is also having fun and uh, remembers that they like doing what they're doing. And, and for me, that all those positive vibes, you know, they mean something, right? You, you can't quantify it, but uh, you'd much rather be in that environment than, than in the environment we saw last year for sure. So all of that stuff rolls together and, you know, like you said, you want to kind of keep it rolling in that direction and do whatever you can to to really maximize, you know, the momentum they've got built right now. My takeaway from the Wisconsin game is that we are seeing the Dax Hill that I think we thought we'd be seeing when he was a top recruit. And, you know, we lost last year because of the COVID year and, again, an outlier, but Man, he was all over the field. He was a force of nature. And just, you know, uh, there, again, a lot of players were swarming on defense. And, 
you know, it, it's interesting to see how different players, Josh Ross, Christopher Hinton, Dax Hill, um, Aiden Hutchinson, of course, just all seem to be hitting, um, you know, I want to say late season stride early. And, you know, fingers crossed that they can avoid injuries. But but right now, um, you know, feeling really good, looking forward to the next game. Um, and, you know, really excited about the potential. Absolutely. Playing good complimentary football. And when one guy is playing well, then that frees up everybody else to really play their best and make plays too. So as, as Dax and, and Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Ross all really start to uh, continue improving and those guys that are that are younger start to move up and, and climb the, the steeper part of their learning curves, then you're going to see Mike McDonald be able to be more flexible and use those guys as weapons on defense. So I expect to see more creativity and more uh, more different uh, attacks that, um, that we haven't even seen yet, and, and it's going to create some big plays in the coming weeks. All right. Well... That's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.